It is now time for Living a Primal Lifestyle with your host, Nico DeHaan. And now, here's Nico DeHaan. Welcome to Living a Primal Lifestyle for Friday, April 29th, 2011. Time to talk about your health, fitness, and diet. I'm your host, Nico DeHaan. Welcome to the show, Nora. Well, thank you, Nico. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm so glad that you called in, and I know we had a little trouble with the line there. <laughs> I was calling well, yeah, you, you were calling that, me. You know, and, and, of course, I've had my own, my own radio show in the past, so I understand the nightmare of worrying whether or not the, uh, the guest is going to call in. And, yeah, then you start oh, scrambling for your notes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, but uh, it, it worked out, so I guess it was meant to. I guess it was. Now, yeah. uh, what, what is, you have uh, a new book coming out, which is actually a rewritten part of the book that I have in hand now. Well, you know, some months back, um, I was approached by uh, the uh, publisher, Inner Traditions, and uh, they're, they're uh, you know, in Healing Arts Press, and, and they, you know, wanted to take over uh, the book and, and re- republish and re-release it in, in a much bigger way, and uh, they're just you know, the greatest people uh, on the planet. They really are. And uh, it's been total pleasure and a total joy working with them. And so what what we've done is taken and sort of revamped the whole thing. And uh, I've gone through and I've done a little bit of uh, rewrite here and there and refined some things a little bit. You know, of course, anytime, you know, you release a book, you read through and you think, oh, geez, yeah. <laughs> I should have rewritten that and I should have... Right. So I had a, you know... Uh, being a perfectionist, I had the opportunity to go through sort of neurotically and pick through everything and uh, and and refine some stuff. I added uh, some new material too. Some wonderful things have uh, you know since come to light and, and new new information, new research to help support and and also expand on what I wrote about in the original version of the book. And uh, it's allowed me also, uh, I mean, you know, it's, it, it's going to have way better uh, editing, better referencing, a um, couple of new illustrations here and there, um, a really gorgeous uh, new format, and it's going to have a new subtitle, um, which is uh, Beyond the Paleo Diet for Total Health and a Longer Life. Nice. Um, so, uh, but it's, 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 it's essentially the same book, but it's, you know, really, for anybody who thought about rereading it or getting a, a new copy or whatever, they, they are going to find, I think, that there is some there's some worthwhile reasons to get this new uh, get this new version of it uh, well, because they really, inner traditions has has taken and and done it upright. Yeah. Well, uh, the thing is, I like about your book. First of all, I loan it out to everybody, so I, <laughs> I do need that other copy. So oh, there you go. <laughs> I've, I ordered that, but uh, yeah, I do loan it out. And the thing I like about your book is it's very easy to read, even though it's technical. Yeah, and that was surprising to me. The chapters are nice and short. I love yeah. that in a book, especially when you're talking techn- technical things. So I yep. really like about that. But uh, what really uh, at the beginning of your book you ask one question, and it is, uh, "What is it uh, that generally constitutes a healthy diet?" Right, and and it's it's a question that everyone has an opinion about. It, it, it in my own practice whether it is my neurofeedback practice or, or whether I'm working with a new nutritional therapy client, one of the reasons, one of the questions I ask them on a, on a little form I have them fill out is, do you consider yourself to have a healthy diet? Yes or no? Because I want to know what their perception is. Right. You know, am, am, am I eating well? Am I not eating well? 
invariably a lot of people answer the word, you know, yes. Well, then I want to know, what does that mean? What does a typical breakfast look like for you? What is a typical lunch? What is a typical dinner? Because I realize it's, it, it could become a touchy subject then. Right. People don't think that they have a healthy diet. Well, then it's easy. You know, then you've got a tabula rosa and you can work with them. Other times, you know, they think they have a healthy diet. And, well, you know, I have tofu, you know, for two out of three meals. And I have, you know, um, and I, you know, I eat lots of, uh, lots of whole grain bread. And I have, a, you know, a bowl of cereal every morning, you know, with whole milk or, you know, with organic milk and, or, or whatever. You know, people will have their ideas about what that means. Yeah. And a lot of it is driven by... Um, mainstream, uh, mainstream media, mainstream medical authorities, mainstream education, uh, mainstream articles in mainstream magazines, and all of that, which a lot of people don't really necessarily consciously realize, or on a a subconscious level, I think they'll resonate with this reality, all of this stuff is essentially being driven by a tremendous array of corporate interests. And so, um, you know, the whole four food groups thing, you know, I, I sometimes affectionately refer to as the four food lobbies. Um, and, you know, the food pyramid, of course, is generated by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Right. Um, and so, uh, not to get overly conspiracy theorist, but there, there are a lot of forces that are shaping our perceptions of what, it, of, of what constitutes healthy diet. And what ends up happening, of course, is that there's all sorts of conflicting research all over the place, and people become jaded by the whole subject. Yeah. They just think, oh, crap, you know, I'm just going to eat whatever I want. you got to die something anyway. Yeah. And they stop listening. They start tuning it out. Yeah, I know, um, I know in my own business, I, you know, I have a personal training business, uh, and uh, I always kind of stayed away from diet because it was too confusing for me, and I, I thought I was doing healthy, but I didn't really know until I started this quest, uh, you know, when my sister gave me a book and I started reading about uh, the primal type of diet. And then it started, it kind of clicked with me. So I kind of wanted to ask you that question, too. How did you start uh, uh, putting together the evolutionary process with food? Right. And and it it was really, you know, as with many things, it was a process. Of unfoldment. I mean, I think mostly coming to a primal and, and beyond, you know, kind of way of thinking about things is, has has been something that probably started out in childhood. You know, a lot of this began probably with an avid interest that I always had in Native American lore in the Arctic. I've always been just completely enamored, of, you know, by the Arctic, and yeah. um, you know, along with a lifelong interest in anthropology. And then some of this evolved out of two. Uh, a real distrust of, of mainstream uh, educational curricul- uh, curriculum in nutrition that I encountered in college and, and really recognized, just had this, you know, sack of wet cement up the side of the head, aware <laughs> realization that we really weren't being told what was true, and we weren't being taught what there was to know about this subject. We were being taught what someone wanted us to know. Yeah. And, uh, and it, and it it was a real disillusionment I had with with mainstream uh, education in that in that uh, arena, and actually probably in most arenas. Um, and some of this too evolved out of the time that I personally uh, spent in the Arctic. Um, I I don't know how many people are aware of, of this. I, I write about it in my bio, but I spent a whole summer uh, of my life um, 
living less than 500 miles from the North Pole with a family of wild wolves. And yeah, that's, that was very interesting to me. I, I've watched a couple of shows on the the wolf, uh, a lady, yeah. I think, from Norway that was uh, doing it. And uh, sure. very, very interesting. And when I uh, saw that you were writing about it, I, I found a real interest in that because I, I have a real interest in the native people, na- you know, the uh, the na- one nations in Canada and the first yeah. nations in Canada. And, that. Yeah. and so yeah. that's that's how it, I got started in, in that myself. So Yeah, you know, and... You know, there have been things, um, you know, written about, uh, you know, from sociological perspective uh, that, you know, that we could probably, there was a woman, I'm forgetting her name right now, uh, years ago presented a research paper, as a sociologist saying that we could learn more about, um, about the structure of human societies studying wolves than we could uh, studying apes. Wow. Because, you know, they're, wolves are basically... Uh, you know, hunting um, animals. And when you you hunt for a living, uh, you develop a very different sociological structure uh, than you would have if you're just sitting around and pulling, you know, leaves off of trees and and eating fruit and whatever. Because in order to live as a hunting society, you have to uh, exhibit qualities of cooperation. I mean, a lot of the things that that we think make us the most human in, in a positive way were really born out of our uh, development of, of hunting as a way of life. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had to learn to cooperate. We had to learn to share. We had to learn some degree of altruism and, uh, um, and, uh, and working together and, and develop much more sophisticated communication and develop also the skills that it took to create the tools that would allow us uh, to hunt. So, and, and that kind of really changed when agriculture started becoming part of the mainstream, didn't it? I mean, right. our, whole, our whole society, not only did our eating habits change, but our whole society well, structure kind of changed with the advent of agriculture. Yeah, not necessarily in the best possible way. You're right. it, it did allow us to create uh, civilization, but it's also made us more vulnerable to famines. It's also deteriorated um, health over you know the course of the last 10,000 years or so, That the degree to which People groups have incorporated grains as a more mainstream, more of a staple uh, food source has been problematic, um, and uh, and it's it's really reaching a crescendo today as our genome is sort of deteriorated. Now, our vulnerability uh, to these foods, to which our genetics really have not yet adapted. I mean, ten thousand years is is a blink of an eye in in human genetic history, and uh, uh, almost none of us are really. Uh, genetically uh, suited uh, to depending on something like grains for our primary source of food, and, and certainly depending on carbohydrates yeah. for our primary source of fuel. This is this is um, our ancestors throughout the vast majority of our history, through almost three million years of our history prior to now, yeah, would very... never have begun to recognize, would never have recognized what yeah. we have as a base diet yeah. today. Folks, to Living a Primal Lifestyle with Nico DeHaan, and my guest today is Nora Gagatis, and uh, she's author of the book Primal Body, Primal Mind. You can also find Nora on her website, which is primalbody-primalmind.com. I would recommend going there. Lots of great material to read uh, and to listen to. She's got a lot of links to her uh, blogs and to various uh, appearances on different shows. Uh, so before the break, Nora, we were talking really about... Uh, how things have changed, and uh, we were talking about our ancestors and uh, hunting and gathering, basically, and uh, how it's changed from what we're doing today. 
Well, right, yes. And, you know, we were certainly much more uh, nomadic at one time, sort of going to wherever food was. And, you know, now, of course, we're much more, um, we're much more, you know, stuck in our, in our, uh, in our cities and in our towns. And, and uh, we're much more dependent on agriculture as, uh, as the primary source of, uh, of, our, of our diets. And yeah. that this is, you know, this is a truly problematic thing. Yeah, it's hard to, it's kind of hard to imagine that there never was agriculture before that time. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, you know, there, there was a time, you know, prior to, uh, the, you know, the tilling of the soil and the growing of the grains and all that kind of thing. And, and uh, you know, a lot of uh, people just sort of seem to kind of miss miss the point that through the vast majority of our of our history it's been a very very different world um, you know we we've actually spent um, you know easily 85 90 percent of our of our evolutionary history in various uh, stages of um, of ice age and we've really only had fairly few um, time periods throughout the course of our history if you look at the Milankovitch cycle, which most uh, geologists would recognize and climatologists would recognize as sort of the accepted standard and and how uh, ice ages have sort of come and gone um, those temperate periods have been have been comparatively very brief um, where and in fact this last ten thousand years i mean the, the last little hump on the on the Milankovitch cycle where we are now you know is, is the entirety of human civilization has arisen during that particular little temperate hump yeah um and so uh our physiology really was not uh, you know designed by these temperate periods no they were designed um, by the other periods right yeah. and you know we're omnivores of course we're going to make use of whatever we can find mm-hmm. uh, to eat uh and to survive um but one of the things that you mentioned in your book too, and I agree with, is that uh, the ice ages and uh, people living in in the Arctic uh, don't depend at all on the carbohydrates. Uh, kind of proof that carbohydrates are not essential. Right. Yeah. The time that I spent in the Arctic really kind of started to awaken some of this uh, awareness in me, because I I really came to, you know, sort of I had the understanding that you know really humans had spent a whole chunk of their history living in very similar conditions, and um, and uh, you know when while I was sitting there on the tundra, you know, watching wolves, uh, you know, I had this obsession with with butter, <laughs> hmm. thinking about butter. Um, most of what I did was sit around in, in one place and eat incredibly fat-rich foods. I ate a, lot, a ton of salami. I was eating cheese. I was eating, uh, um, you, know, um, you know, we ate, uh, we brought along uh, these boiling bag dinners that were, you know, pretty rich in, in meat and, and that kind of thing. And I found myself just totally preoccupied all the time with what's the fattiest thing I can reach for now, you know, nuts and and whatever. And then every so often, there was a weather station that was some distance away from from our camp, and we would travel to this weather station, and we were given permission to be able to kind of go in and raid the kitchen you know, at 3 o'clock in the morning when everybody else was sleeping, and we'd go in there. And I went straight for this big dish of butter, and I would, 
you know, make toast in my pre-gluten savvy days, <laughs> and I just caked it on there, yeah. and I couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. Well, and, it's the and, stuff and, that you makes know, you satisfied. I lost about yeah. thirty pounds. Yeah, yeah, it is amazing. Yeah, yeah. I um, noticed that too when I when I switched my body over to fat burning. I mean, everything changed for me. Not only, uh, you know, the uh, the energy that you get from it and the sustained energy and yeah. no more peaks and valleys, but uh, also you're satisfied. You're not hungry. That's that, right. You know, I, we you always... go for longer periods of time yeah. without being preoccupied with, with food. Yeah. Now, I have a client of mine, that, uh, and uh, her name is Donna, a very, very nice person, and she's very, very active, does these long bike rides. and. Oh, yeah. uh uh, well, let me, let me uh, take a break here, and uh, okay. we'll continue this little story. And uh, Maybe you can have some answers for her, because she's desperate. Welcome back, folks, to Living a Primal Lifestyle on TFNN.com. And uh, my number here is 877-927-6648. I'm speaking with Nora Gudgadis, uh, author of Primal Body, Primal Mind. And before the break, we were talking about a client of mine, Donna, who uh, is very, very active, goes for long bike rides, have been a carbo. Uh, hydrate fanatic for many many years and uh as i started talking to her about this and she was she was a listener to the show and then came uh do some personal training with me and she has slowly started switching over but it's uh she says you know i'm frustrated because my weight is just not dropping and uh, i says well you know for some people it just takes time and one of the questions i really have is that it seems men just lose it so much easier than women do right and she is uh 50 years old and she is, you know, pre-menopause, and there's a lot of things going on there. And, you know, she relates to little stories to me. She says, you know, now that I'm making this switch over, I can feel my body difference. I just can't feel the weight difference. But now I'm realizing that, you know, 30 or 40 years ago when my mother was feeding me this, this is when my problem started. Right. Is she truly overweight? No, she's not. She's not okay. overweight. She's, uh, I would say she's more of a stocky build, and she was into uh, doing uh, really weight training for many years. So she's, sure. she's very stocky, very muscular. Uh, she looks fantastic, I must say. But she well, does want to lose some weight. And, uh, and she, <laughs> if she lost 10 pounds, she, she would be just you know, on top of the world. Right. Well, and so some people have perceptions of themselves as you know, weighing more than, than they need to, and in fact, maybe they don't. Although, right. I will say the number one, um, if, she is, if she has, you know, been a, been a carbivore for as long as you say, uh, and there may have been some insulin resistance involved and whatnot, if there was ever any metabolic syndrome, which I, I, I don't know her, I don't, I right. don't have any way of, of really uh, determining this. Um, but one thing that happens very commonly uh, in women is that uh, through the process of all the insulin uh, production and whatnot, there is a, an enzyme called 1720 lyase produced by the ovaries that actually, in the presence of insulin, convert estrogen to testosterone, and, and in more specifically, that dehydrotestosterone, that, that toxic testosterone. And it actually is the number one cause of resistant weight loss uh, in women. Now, in men, uh, the opposite thing happens. Uh, men will uh, oftentimes convert. In fact, that's the number one also reason for, uh, well, one of the most common reasons for what appear to be depressed estrogen levels, uh, particularly in, in women struggling with their weight, is that overconversion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if that's happening, there's, you know, you can exercise all day and you, and you don't take off weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in, in men, what happens is the, 
the, the enzyme that act, gets activated in them, um, and, it, and it's secreted through adipal uh, tissue, is an enzyme called aromatase. And aromatase will combine with uh, insulin and, gener- and convert testosterone to estrogen. Mm-hmm. And the opposite thing happens. It's the number one cause of depressed testosterone in men, by the way. Huh. And, uh, and, of course, what's the solution? They go in uh, to have this looked at, and, oh, look, your testosterone is low. You know, too bad your body's too stupid to make as much as it needs. <laughs> we'll, give you, we'll give you more. Right. And it tends to kind of accelerate uh, the problem. Uh, and as women become menopausal, oftentimes, of course, they're given estrogen replacement, and it can exacerbate the issue, too. And yeah. I don't know whether she's on any sort no, of... No, as far as I know, she's not. But she did okay. say uh, for many, many years she uh, did drink soy because she was allergic to milk. Okay, yeah. And that might have... Uh, and that may have... I will tell you, anything estrogenic will stop weight loss in its tracks. So yeah. birth control pills, uh, hormone replacement with estrogens, uh, overexposure to xenoestrogens or to uh, estrogenic foods uh, is not helpful in that yeah. regard. And, and, and any, any medication probably uh, disrupts the whole system in, in a sense. Sure. Yeah. Welcome back to the show, folks. This is Nico on Living a Primal Lifestyle with my guest, Nora Gadgadis, the author of Primal Body, Primal Mind. Uh, Nora, one of the biggest misconceptions about diet is the, the meat thing. A lot of people have trouble saying, well, of course, especially red meat is not good for you, it promotes cancer, uh, blah, blah, blah. Right. I, I, did, I did want to touch on that because there, uh, the, the new, newest theories about uh, life extension really counteract that, don't they? Yeah, well, and, you know, really the health of the meat that we eat, I mean, you know, you have to kind of consider what what kind of meat are they talking about? Are they talking about processed meat or are they talking about feedlot meat, which they usually are? I mean, they're looking at mainstream sources of meat. Now, some of these studies are just plain skewed, Um, but, uh, but if, let's put it this way, the health of the meat that you eat is really going to be based on the health of the animal that that meat came from. Sure. And was that animal consuming a diet that was natural to it, living out in fresh air and sunshine and munching on, you know, fresh green grass? Or was it uh, confined to a feedlot under stressful conditions, being shot full of hormones and antibiotics and fed cement dust to raise its weight for slaughter and um, God knows what else, gum wrappers, that was another one. Um, And, uh, you know, was it, you know, stuffed uh, on a diet of, what is actually unnatural for a cow as well as us, um, grains. Mm-hmm. And what you end up with, of course, is a tremendously altered uh, fatty acid profile in grain-fed meat uh, where omega-6s are going to predominate. You probably don't have any omega-3s at all in there. And uh, if, you, if you have a meat, for instance, from a, which, of course, omega-6 fatty acids are known for uh, in excess promoting pro-inflammatory uh, conditions, which mm-hmm. most of our disease processes today are inflammatory-based. Right. And so that's a problem. I think one of the other problems that gets overlooked is, is you know, how much, how much meat are, are people eating? Um, are they gorging themselves on a 10-ounce on a, on a steak with every meal or, or, or the equivalent of that? I mean, we, you know, we, we still have the same instincts our, our, our ancestors did in terms of uh, feast or famine. Sure, but now, it's, a, now wild, it's available all the time. That's right. Yeah, and so when our ancestors, you know, came into food, whatever it was, you know, they ate whatever they had to to survive. They sure. weren't they weren't trying to think in terms of longevity or anything else. They were thinking in terms of survival. Yeah. 
And we still have that same sort of primal psychological makeup when we get presented with food. Um, we want to eat what's there. And, and, and we're exposed today to this unnatural abundance, to this unnatural, um, uh, you know, and a lot of it on very unnatural food uh, and unnaturally produced food. And we're still, uh, you know, eating as much as we want. And, and here what people think of as a portion size is just, you know, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's incredible. I know, if you look so at the plates, overeating the, the, is one of those things, too, uh, yeah. that, in, that stimulates things like insulin. And then, of course, I talk in my book about this metabolic pathway called mTOR, um, mammalian target of rapamycin, that measures our, our in protein levels. And when our protein levels are in excess of what we need for our own maintenance and repair, that, too, can trigger uh, proliferative cellular uh, cycles. Now, And that you know, specifically uh, amounts to cancer later on in life. Well, it can, it yes. Can, yeah. I mm. mean, if you're, you know, if you're, um, especially if you're over 40 and that kind of thing, um, you know, where you're not growing and you're not thinking about reproducing anymore, uh, these cellular cycles are more likely, as, as our genes sort of, you know, mutate, as our DNA mutates with respect to, um, you know, exposure to all kinds of environmental pollutants and toxins and whatever, uh, radiation, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, whatever else, uh, we become more susceptible to those cancerous processes. And we know that when that mTOR pathway is upregulated by the presence of excess uh, protein, then the risk is higher of cells proliferating in a way that we might not like. So uh, there are different reasons, I think, for what some of these uh, studies seem to show. But, you know, look, folks, we've we've been eating uh, meat and fat, including saturated fat, including cholesterol, for almost 3 million years. And it didn't all of a sudden now, you know, become this problematic thing. And, and, and you have to realize that cancer and heart disease and all of these things are diseases of modern civilization, yeah. that our ancestors really didn't have these problems. Yeah, and, and the biggest problem really is this last 100 years or even 50 years where everything has changed uh, because my grandmother uh, certainly didn't make any of these modern foods. Uh, when she made breakfast, uh, it was usually bacon and eggs and stuff like that, and I remember the day that my mother brought home the Kellogg's cornflakes, and from that day on, breakfast changed completely for me. Right, and, right. Uh, you so know, with the advent of the food industry, so much of what has come into our so-called food supply is is it's not food. No, it's something <laughs> it that can be kept on the shelf. Food. Yeah, it's something that is designed to be kept on the shelf for many, many uh, for a long time. Right. Yeah. Right. So, what is actually the? And the, I have trouble explaining this to a, a lot of people. But with grains and beans, basically seeds. Why are seeds not really part of our diet? Why shouldn't they be? Seeds. Yeah, like the grains. Oh, great! Grains are. Yeah, I think of that a little differently. Okay. I mean, you know, we, we probably did eat some seeds of foods. You yeah. know, like uh, you know, you know, pine nuts and. Um, uh, you know, sunflower seeds, I don't know what, you know, the, the, there are some seeds that we probably ate, but grains um, really were not something that, uh, it, we, we certainly would have had access to some grains here or there. And again, as as omnivores uh, and as people looking to survive, we would have noshed on whatever we could find. Yeah. But grains really were not something that we cultivated and used for a primary source of food until much, much, much more recently. And so this is something to which we are ill-adapted. 
And grains contain a number of hormonally uh, disruptive uh, substances. They contain phytic, uh, very high levels of phytic acid, which bind and prevent the absorption of various minerals um, uh, in, our, in our diets. And um, some of these things can literally leach the minerals right out. Um, and uh, grains, of course, are primarily starch-based food, which is something that our physiology is not particularly well adapted to. Uh, we really, our ancestors didn't have an emergency need to lower blood sugar the way most people several times a day seem to require today. And so we don't have hormones in place to really effectively manage blood sugar. Yeah. Uh, and insulin isn't one of them, by the way. Welcome back to the show, folks. This is Nico on Living a Primal Lifestyle. I'd like to remind you to pick up Nora Gagatas' book, Primal Body, Primal Mind. You can find it on Amazon. In fact, right now, I think it's sold out, but uh, the new version is coming out. I have several uh, clients that have mentioned to me that they can't find it anywhere. So I guess you're sold right. out of the other version, but the new one's no, coming the, up. Uh, the new version, actually, my furry, very first book signing will be June 28th. And uh, um, so uh, it will be out by the end of June. Uh, but it has not yet been released. Now, will it be on Kindle, Kindle device, yeah, too? Yeah, my understanding is that it's going to be out in, in all the available formats. Oh, beautiful, so. beautiful. Uh, and uh, please go to her website, also primalbody-primalmind.com. A lot of great information on there. Now, Nora, uh, just to, we only have a couple of minutes, so I just kind of wanted to summarize. How would you uh, advise people to get started on changing the way they eat? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> In two minutes, please. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the, the, the first goal really should be to become a fat burner instead of a sugar burner. And okay. by doing, by basically, uh, the, the best way to do that, I have discovered, uh, and of course we have to consider if you have uh, metabolic syndrome or if you have, uh, if you're diabetic or if you have, you know, serious uh, uh, health conditions, that are related to blood sugar in some way, you may want to do this under the supervision of a knowledgeable and qualified healthcare provider. Sure. However, I found that uh, you, typically by eliminating uh, sugar and starch from the diet as quickly as possible is a much more effective and, and much more painless way of going about this than trying to gradually reduce and cut back on carbs uh, in order to try to achieve the same thing. And so the first best thing you can do is just by getting that sugar and starch out of your diet. And if you can completely eliminate gluten in the process, I'm here to tell you this is a major, major thing that is going to make a big difference. By the way, I have one more thought for your uh, client, Donna. Yes. And that is, uh, and this is a major, major source of resistant weight loss, is undiagnosed food sensitivities. And so she may want to consider going on some form of elimination diet, okay. um, which, you know, could involve, uh, if she's into dairy products and things like that, uh, she may need to eliminate those uh, for a period of time to determine whether or not that makes a big difference, okay. as well as uh, sources of gluten and hidden sources of gluten other than grains. Okay. So that's another thought. Yeah, great. Uh, but, you know, uh, getting your food from, uh, knowing where your food comes from, Buying it from sources that uh, buying your meat from sources where the animals are, are grass fed and, and, and treated well and living their lives out in fresh air and sunshine. Um, buying you know your produce from uh, again you know local organically or biodynamically grown uh, reputable uh, sources or growing your own. Um, 
you know, becoming increasingly aware again of, of where your food is actually uh, coming from, avoiding the center aisles in the grocery store, uh, and and not overeating. You know, yeah. you're you're eliminating sugar and starch primarily, yeah. uh, and then you moderate your protein intake. Uh, take your take. Uh, your body weight uh, in pounds, divide by 2.2 to get your body weight in kilograms, and then multiply that by 0.8 to get the approximate amount of protein that you should be shooting for, the actual protein uh, amount. And the back of my book has uh, has, uh, charts that allow you to kind of, you know, figure out how many grams of protein are in a six-ounce piece of chicken or whatever. Um, And then eat as much fat as you need to. Uh, in order to satisfy your appetite, you're going to find it's not that much, but you, most of your calories will ultimately, in, in terms of caloric density, will probably be coming from, from fat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I probably eat about 75% fat in terms of caloric intake. Yeah, yeah I do too. Um, it's wonderful. And, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's wonderful. Yeah. Well, we're out of time, and I really, really wanted to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, it's uh, It's been a great, great time, and uh, your knowledge is just unbelievable. So I really <laughs> well, thank appreciate you. Thank so you so much for having me. It's, it's, it's really been a pleasure. Okay. I'll be talking to you soon. I'll shoot you a link as soon as we're done. Sounds good, Nico. Okay. Thank thanks you. a lot, Laura. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.